Hello and welcome to Searching Inward, a podcast brought to you by Restore Small Groups. This episode is titled Being Known, the Antidote for Toxic Shame. We talk about how empathetic groups are where our paradigms and perceptions are shifted from toxic shame patterns to being fully known. We also discuss the power of vulnerability and how to use it safely for your growth. We hope you enjoy. All right. Well, thanks for uh, joining us again, Scott and Sarah. And we're coming out of episode nine, which was about toxic shame and kind of how all of that manifests and some context around it. And this is the episode about the antidote for toxic shame and kind of the solution and how to move forward in it. And so this episode is titled Being Known, the Antidote for Toxic Shame. So, um, Sarah, can you talk about how being known um, is, in fact, the antidote for the toxic shame that we all experience at a certain point in time in our life? Toxic shame really draws us into ourselves. Mm. And I think, you know, I said this in the last episode, I keep harping on it, but, you know, if we had our ideal world as kids, we would have been known Mm. for our true selves. Um, If, you know, we had the perfect family, we would all be recognized in our uniqueness um, mm. for and and the value of that uniqueness and our gifts and talents and those would have been pointed out to us early and that's all that you know that that's the ideal world we all want to live in but mm. for most of us that did not happen um, or even if it happened it's you know our parents are they're never perfect and right. can do that perfectly mm. so toxic shame once it hits wherever it hits whether it's childhood or adolescence or yeah in the workplace or wherever draws us inward to ourselves into a, a pr- protective state, really. I mean, mm. we, we're, we're building that armor that says, uh, you know, I've been hurt. I don't, I'm not going to be hurt anymore. So however I'm going to do that, however I'm going to put up the shield, again, whether we talked about in the last episode, whether it's I'm opting out of life, mm. therefore you can't hold me to any level of accountability. Mm. And that's my shield. Mm. So now I'm out. Or I'm going to be super perfect and therefore you cannot get in and you cannot point out my, there is no vulnerability here. Mm. Like I'm, uh, I'm, I'm a magical unicorn Mm, who cannot, who cannot ever uh, have any moment of vulnerability. Uh, It is the protective state. And so the irony is that the fact that the exposure early on that created the toxic shame creates then the false self, which is really the protective self, Mm. then we have to, at some point, in order to get rid of the toxic shame, we have to wade back into the waters of exposure, Mm. which can be terrifying. I fully resonate with the idea that when you've been vulnerable and taken advantage of, that vulnerability has been over and over again, uh, has led to harm or or hurt or whatever it might be mm. that that someone turning to you and saying you know you're going to have to be vulnerable in order to feel better mm. is terrifying and so we do have to very carefully um, I'm a big fan of the book Boundaries by uh, Cloud and Townsend mm. but I think what's important in that book is that we have to the healthy place to be with our relational boundaries is that we have to know, you know, they describe a house with a picket fence and that's the perfect scenario. The picket fence has a gate Mm. and you know who to let out and who to let in. Mm. We often though in the whole toxic shame cycle, lose sight of 
what that means, like who's healthy, who's not healthy, who should I let in, who should I not let in. And so we're letting in the wrong people. We're keeping ourselves distanced from the right people in terms of what will help us be our healthiest relational self Mm. and help us take down that toxic shame. And so I think that we have to very carefully evaluate, and I think this is part of the process of, of transforming that toxic shame, evaluate what, how can I take baby steps towards being known, mm. but not just jump. You can't jump right into the deep end. Yes. It's too scary. It's mm. too much to ask. And mm. you have to kind of feel your way through like where might be some safe relationships that I might start to have, um, some safe workplace, like my I might find a safer workplace than I'm in right now, or I might find safer friends than I have right now, or I might start limiting what I tell my family because I don't want to hear the toxic feedback that I get every time I share something with my family. So these little places where we have to start evaluating what is safe and what is not safe, how much can I expose myself and to whom? And sometimes the honest truth is we're best to expose ourselves to people who aren't in our family of origin (laughs) or our immediate surroundings or the people who were originally hurt us. Mm. I think we need to stop and seriously evaluate if the people who hurt me originally and they're not safe, like why would I go back and keep exposing myself over and over again? That's beautiful. I think that's a really, really, really important thing that I learned the hard way. And I think we all do when we're starting to go on this journey is as you start to move inward and you start to know that this is the way out, you know, if you've been suffering for a while, you want to go out quickly. It's almost like I've been in the gates. I've been dealing with my inner world for so long. Now I'm ready to heal. Let me go and open up. And you're almost um, surprised by it. It's almost like a backlash. And the, and the thing that the ego, the, the shame wants is for that to happen. Because if that happens, then it's like, see, I told you, you're not safe. And I think knowing on the front end to take baby steps, to be cautious about who you're opening up to. And I, I can, it's been my experience that I've had more unconditional love in a group setting from complete strangers than I've had from quote unquote special relationships that have been going on my entire life. And there's nothing wrong with those relationships, but it just goes to show you those people have a shared interest as well of healing. And I think when you have someone else that's equally invested in healing and doing the work, um, it creates that natural empathy. Whereas the people that don't want to heal typically um, can can limit your journey and kind of put you on a sidetrack because you you open up and it's not met well. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and you're like, wow, okay, so I guess this doesn't work. It's not that it doesn't work. We just have to be careful of who we open up to. So mm-hmm. Thanks for sharing that because I, I wish I would have known that early on. That's powerful. So... For me, the answer, again, the antidote to our isolation and our shame is the experience of being fully known. Mm. And so when Thompson wrote Anatomy of the Soul, I read that book for the first time. It was like, this is what we're doing. Mm. This is what we've been doing. We didn't even know what we were. I I didn't know what I was doing. But we we kept saying we were building a healing community. And and what I'd like to talk about is how he talks about neuroplasticity, Mm. which I had never heard before until I read Anatomy of Soul, that the brain is the only organ in the body that throughout our lifetime can change, grow. And he talks about how neural pathways are formed. Mm. And so, again, if we go back to the paradigm, the lens in which I'm seeing things through is especially if it's shame, Mm. I have deeply ingrained neural pathways that have been there my whole life. He says the only way those can be changed is for 
those to be exposed mm. to in our stories. And so I wanted to read what he says about healing community, mm. which is a small group. He says, the journey inward can only be done in community mm. to move out of intra and interpersonal isolation. And that's what we know. Isolation is just deadly, mm. being disconnected, loneliness. He says, it's not good for man to be alone. In community, we experience God's love, mercy, justice. This is accomplished through giving and receiving love, which we experience most powerfully in the process of being known. Mm. And so as we share our stories, he, he said this, that both the listener and the storyteller's brains are transformed. Wow. The neural pathways are changed. And he says here that there is no such thing as an individual brain. He makes this really clear. Our brains won't work in isolation. Mm. So if we know that shame isolates, and then we, so the antidote has to be this environment where there's empathy and compassion. And so he says that there's no such thing as an individual brain. Transformation requires a collaborative interaction with one person empathetically listening and responding to the other so that the speaker has the experience, perhaps for the first time in their life, mm. the feeling of being felt by another. Mm. And, and I, in 20-some years of doing this work, that's, that pretty much summarizes what happens. Mm. That's why I think I call it sacred space, mm. creating that place where there's empathy. And again, I, just this year I read that that. They say that only people who do inner work have the capability of empathy. Mm. And so it, people who don't do inner work can't extend empathy. And it's obvious we don't have much empathy mm. in our society. And so I think of that verse, don't cast your pearls before swines. I mean, you got to use discernment mm. who I tell my story to and oh. I am vulnerable to because you could actually get hurt more mm. and drive the message further. So, so it's not just a spiritual journey, what I'm saying here, it's physiological too, mm. that those actual neural pathways in our brains can be transformed. That's why taking all thoughts captive is important mm. and being transformed by the renewing of your mind. Being in that environment, service using the word creativity, that to me is where we can create, co-create with God and others mm. a whole new mindset, a whole new paradigm, all new neural pathways. And that's why they say uh, neurons that fire together, wire together. Mm. And so when I start embracing that and thinking that and seeing it that way, everything changes. And when you see that happen in a person's life, it's, you see them being transformed right before your eyes. Mm. Unfortunately, again, in our society, the only people I see that really experience that are people who are in recovery. Yes. Well, it's almost like I, I really, that's such a good, because otherwise it's projection. It's almost like I've noticed that when you talk to someone, you open up and they have not done any work. It, it'll, it'll hit their spot yes. that they don't want to, they don't want to go. And no, there's no shame. There's no judgment here. It's just what it, this experience. And then they'll almost overcorrect or, um, I don't even know the word, but it's like it, it's um, before you know it, it's like, wait a second, I've triggered something in them. Now we're in it together and now we're not able to neither one of us are in our right mind. And I think, Scott, you talking about um, the paradigm and perspective changes. Um, it, it's you, you, t you said this in previous episodes where intimacy is into me. You see it. Sometimes we have to have a brother or a sister, one of our people around us to say, oh, I thank you for telling me that. But that is not 
what I see. And I, mm-hmm. I have a close friend of mine that said it's so many people limit what they do for their living. And they, but whenever you start to do it and you start to be like, this is who I am. I want to do this for vocation. Everybody's like, well, of course, that's what we've always seen about you. So it's like other people can mirror in a healthy way. Um, all, all the beautiful value that we have that we're blind to because of the shame. So that's yes. a really, really powerful paradigm when someone else, aside from you mentally assenting to believing this about yourself, mm-hmm. when someone steps in and says, no, I see you this way, that's mm-hmm. a different ballgame. So I would say that in my life, the, the one place that I experienced true love, experienced, it really felt like Thompson's talking about, felt loved, was in a small group mm. where, because all the other places in my life, all the other places that I experienced love, it was conditional. Mm. I had performed mm. or I had pretended to be what I thought you would love, mm. you know, and I hid all my flaws and all my mistakes, all my weaknesses. Mm. But in a small group where I exposed all that and those people loved me, mm. that was, uh, that's the first time it was unconditional. That's beautiful. Mm-hmm. That's beautiful. And I agree with you that uh, well, it's one of the things we always caution group leaders about is that when when other people, to truly hear, mm-hmm. so to truly be known, you have to truly be heard. Right. And that is where, you know, leading a small group is not, it's not rocket science, but it's tricky sometimes mm-hmm. in that you have to temper your emotional responses mm-hmm. because inevitably someone sharing their story is going to trigger something inside of you, either about your own story or about something that you deeply, is it deeply entrenched as right or wrong or black or white or, you know, this should, and, and it's so interesting you saying, you know, and this is where, you know, we have to caution people to be careful who you kind of tell all the things to, because to your point, and this, I think AA is a beautiful model for this, right? You get a sponsor at a certain point. Well, that sponsor has to be healthier than you. Like they have to be further down the road. Otherwise they're not going to be able to help you. Mm. And so I think, yeah, telling your story to someone who has traveled Mm. down the road a little bit more in the sense that they know themselves because their response, people's response to your vulnerability often has more to do with them yes. than it does with anything you're dealing with. And so when someone has a very, to your point, strong response to your story, like you have to do that, you know, mm-hmm. you can't do this, you can't do that, you have to do this, you must have more faith, you have to go to church, whatever the response is, is coming deeply out of their own mm. need to tell you that. Mm. But why? That's mm-hmm. always the part. Uh, because, you know, I've had that same experience too where, uh, just even in the smallest amount of vulnerability and, and, you know, the response is you should do that. Well, that's not, that's not me. That's, mm. you know, that's, that's you, but that's an interesting response mm. <laughs> to have. Uh, so, you know, in group, that's one of the things we have to really be careful of is I'm not projecting mm. onto you. Yes. What I think is best for your life. And that takes a lot of, it does take more, um, discernment and yeah. wisdom than you would think because you have to really let go of almost every every construct that you have. Yes. What you think spiritually should happen for somebody, mm. uh, what you believe is, you know, the right choice professionally for them or mm. what you believe success is or not, you know, I mean, uh, you really have to be very open to the idea that there are many pathways mm. and just because this person's not traveling down your exact pathway doesn't mean 
they're not making progress yeah. and not to project out onto them what you, for some reason you think is best for their life, but mm. you have no idea what's best for, yes. for their life. And what's beautiful is I, I, it just keeps ringing true that when, when I'm, I'm going through, as you guys are talking about being, um, which we're going to turn to in a second about what vulnerability is and what it is not, which is really important. When you were talking about sharing with people, when I was going through my mind of people recently that I've been opening up and sharing with who have just been a bomb, who've just been a, they have both went through something very intense. And, and it's almost like you, 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 when we go through these tough experiences, we're like, God, why me? This is, this is almost overwhelming. Like I can't handle this. But now looking back that I've gone through certain things over the past two years, when someone opens up to me, I just am like, thank you. Thank you for talking to me. I'm not going to jump in at all. I'm going to hold this space because I know what it was like when someone held that space. And, and you do heal, you know, on the other side of what you're moving through, you do heal. So the sponsor, it's really important to also, if you're trying to ask for someone to hold space, that you're not in the same, you, you know, you're not in the shallow end together. You got somebody that's a little <laughs> bit further down the road that's like, I've healed on this. And these are some of the things that I can say looking back would have helped me. And that's to me, what else, what else could God create more beautifully than to take and alchemize these struggles and these things that we all go through to then turn around and say, I'm going to offer you this gift of holding this space for you while you go through yours. It's a beautiful, it's a beautiful way that we can look at what we're moving through. So um, I do want to talk about vulnerability as the next subject. So I think it's really important. Um, I have been calculatingly vulnerable the ego will hijack vulnerability yep. to get a response out of someone That's or to control term. something. So I have I have done that and it backfired on me when I was learning how to be vulnerable. I have vomited on people. It's been too overwhelming. I have overshared. So I've done all the wrong things when it comes to vulnerability. So I'm looking forward to y'all talking about how to be vulnerable and what, what vulnerability is and what it is not. Well, I mean, Sarah and I, we know this well, but appropriate vulnerability that's being modeled that's one of the things we look for in a facilitator. They're further down the road and they've had the maturity. Mm. But I know in my life, when I've used my immature, ego-driven vulnerability, it was manipulative. Mm. It, it, was a, it was an effort to control and get something that I wanted. Mm. Um, it really was. And, and so, you know, they say you can spot it if you got it. So, and it's, so yeah. <laughs> you know, it's so easy now as the years go by that when other people do that with me, I'm like, I know what this is about, you know, <laughs> you know, because you know, I've done this. They can you know. feel it, oh yeah. And, yeah. And, but, it, you know, it's interesting, it's still, that vulnerability is driven, mm. I believe, by shame. Mm. You know, I'm, I'm going to have, this is how I'm going to have to get what I want. Mm -hmm. mm. Yeah, I think, obviously, you can use vulnerability for getting pity, mm. you know. Mm. I, I think that's, that's actually quite easy. Yeah. You can yeah. tell somebody, you know, that this... Uh, all the things that are kind of going wrong or whatever it may or whatever the struggle may be. And then in, I call it, call it, I like that. I love your term that calculated vulnerability. Mm -hmm. Also, I, I think, you know, cheap vulnerability is kind of another, yeah. you know, where, right. yeah, yeah. Counterfeit, yeah, where you're mimicking vulnerability and maybe you are being vulnerable in that moment, but it's not an, for the genuine connection and it's not in a desire to actually change anything. Mm. I think a lot of people, think, and I, I'm with, sure we've talked about this in another episode, but coming into group means you just come in and you just 
say it all and then Lay you leave. On. Yeah. But then this sort of suspicion about that because, well, what, is it, what does that change? Mm. Well, yeah, I agree. If you're coming in every week just to say it, mm. but you have no intention of making any changes mm. and this, and that's the victim mentality. It's like, woe is me. Mm. I'm going to come in every week, tell you how terrible things are, but I have no intention of moving towards anything different than mm. this. You can feel a momentary relief. I think emotionally after you've let it out, mm. you know, I think that's the temptation is like, I'm going to let it out. Now I feel a little bit better, but 24 hours from now, I'm going to feel the same way right. because nothing's really changed. Um, and so I think that's not true vulnerability. Now we all need a minute. So I think sometimes to vent, as yes. we say, yeah. just get it out or whatever. We know that's a momentary, like, I just need a minute to, bah, yes. you know, get yeah. it out. But if you're talking about true transformation, true vulnerability, using that to really, as Scott said, change your neuropathways and your perspective and your paradigm, mm. then it's definitely harder work yeah. than just the momentary venting. Mm. And I think, too, social media lends itself a lot to the ability to get on. Brene Brown has a great term for it, um, spotlighting, where you just get on and let loose about everything that's going on. Sometimes I read people's posts. I'm like, whoa, that is a lot of vulnerability to Mm -hmm. a bunch of people. Um, uh, You know, and it elicits sympathy and it elicits responses, which I think is what people want. But it's a, you know, there is a level at which essentially you're just spotlighting your, your struggle with mm. no, that's not true vulnerability. It's not true mm. connection. Mm. It's, it's momentary sympathy mm. for your, for your plight, um, whatever's going on. So I do think we have to be careful how we're using our vulnerability. Yes. And the truth is, I think when you start to really understand what that is, you will, realize in certain places you'll find yourself holding back Mm. in terms of I'm having a conversation with someone, but I'm acutely aware that I'm not going to let them in on everything that's going on because I'm choosing very carefully who I'm connecting to or who Mm. I'm telling things to because, and I think that gets easier the more you do have true connection because you know you're like these are my people that yes. I talk to yeah and this random person who I'm encountering right now I don't need to tell everything to yes. because we're not connected yep. I recognize that I mm-hmm. met you five minutes ago mm-hmm. so I'm not going to tell you all of these things but you know I have got a group a community over here of people who really know me and those yes. are the people I can go to and have these conversations with. So. And what a, what a great, you know, going to the well, it's like, it's just a, it's, it's something that you know that you have. So then it, it embodies that when you start to move into that toxic shame and you get triggered, you don't have to sit there like for a week or try to try to get your thoughts right or meditate. You just reach out. It's like, it's like the last thing we want to do when we're moving through something because we don't want to be seen as weak or, hey, I'm having this thought again. I know we talked about this two weeks ago. Can we chat about it again? And I've, I've, I've been able to make some really good relationships through um, an online thing that I'm going through. And one of the things that I love about it is that when, when, when he's moving through his ego, his shame attack, I can see the shame and ego. And I'm just like, oh, man, that's not you. But thank you for opening up because it almost it almost allows me to spot mine. And it's like um, one of my favorite things that they keep saying is the ego has no new material. It's a terrible <laughs> actor. It's the same thing all the time. It doesn't have any new typecast. It's just typecast, <laughs> classic ego. And it's like but when it's when it's ours, 
when we associate it with it, and I think that's one thing that's been helpful too, is they always talk about making it impersonal. It's like, that's an impersonal. You don't have to say, this is my ego. This is the ego that's running in my mind right now. And, and I can show up, like you said, from that true self and say, is this true or not? But it always helps when you can't get out of it. We all get in those rabbit holes when you have a friend that you can call and just say, this is what I'm experiencing, and they can just hold that space for you. That is the antidote every single time versus any kind of meditation or some kind of uh, mental you know, battle inside of your mind. It's, it is reaching out to get that help that changes everything. Yeah, I think what Sarah was saying is really true. I think the key to vulnerability is who my listener is, who my audience is, because that would really determine my motivation. Right. If it's a healthy motivation, and, and these are people who know the program and the process that I'm in, where I'm trying to get to, mm. and then they are listening through the ears of both care and accountability, mm. you know, there is, I'm not, there is no victim here. They know exactly who I am, where I am, and what I'm trying to do. Mm. But in other circles, where it's not that, it can be a motivation to get sympathy yeah. and, and to, there's something that I want. Mm. Yeah. And, I, and, I, and so I, it all comes down to, to the audience. And again, having discernment, being in a healing community, because mm. um, you know, some of the people that I can be really vulnerable with, and, and they're going to say, hey, that's, that's not in line with where we're trying to go. Right. You know? Yes. And, and then it's, you're right. Mm. And, 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 and then also, and, um, you know, vulnerability, any, even so, if you are the listeners mm-hmm. who are healthy for me and I'm afraid to tell you something, mm. then and the longer that I go that I'm afraid to be vulnerable, the harder it gets to be vulnerable. That's a real wake up for me. Mm. Um, so I need to have, I, I, I see two sides to him. One is I have a reluctance or a resistance even with my close, because because there's always that feeling in the back of my mind that they're going to be disappointed with mm-hmm. me. I slipped. I'm not getting it. Oh my gosh, I know that voice again. The ego has no new material, but it has. You have to open up and say that because this, I have a friend of mine. Every time he's like, I know we talked about this yesterday, and I know that I shouldn't be struggling with it still, but I am. Will you will you will you hold some space for me? And I'm absolutely because for some reason I'm in a good space today. And so it's like. It is that beautiful thing of, of uh, even being honest about being being vulnerable about being afraid to be vulnerable. It's like the whole thing. And I think that that audience is so, so key. Sarah, did you want to add something? I, I did want to say kind of to that point, I do think it's okay. I've experienced this quite a few times where when something happens and it's really raw mm. um, or, you know, it touches, it's just kind of a, an open wound. Sometimes I do think it's okay to hold that for a minute. Mm. Um, I, I know that we're very used to in, you know, here at restore where we're vulnerable a lot of the time, but I do think sometimes you just need a moment. Yes. If something has just happened mm. to process it, to hold it doesn't necessarily mean you're isolating and it doesn't necessarily mean you're not willing to be vulnerable, but maybe you just need the right time. Mm. You're not quite ready yet. Um, uh, and, I've I'm, I've experienced that many times where it's like something's happened with my kids or something's happened with my husband. I'm like I'm I'm just not ready to mm. share it. Doesn't mean I'll never share it. Right. It's just I need a minute mm-hmm. to figure it out first, mm-hmm. and then I'll share it. Um, and normally, but I think Scott's point is a good one in that if you start holding it and 
you notice you're you stop sharing or you're sort of shutting down mm-hmm. and you're and you're not you're isolating is a different thing. So I think you have to kind of gauge it depending on is it okay to hold it for a minute? Yeah, I think it's okay. Yeah. Um, just to let your brain process mm-hmm. what's going on. Yeah. So what are uh, maybe to close out? What are some characteristics if someone's listening and they're like, man, I don't have any safe people. So like, where do I, how do I get started? Obviously, you know, a, a restore small group would be a great place because you do have a facilitator that that is their job. They've been trained. They know exactly how to hold that space. Um, because I do think that's a fear. I think people fear when, when I tell people about restore and I'm sure you guys have had experience of showing up to group. Well, what do we do is the first question, which we've already kind of covered in some of these earlier episodes. But one of the things that keeps coming up of, of some friends that I tell about, they're like, well, you know, I'm, I don't want to just go in there and dump on everybody and I don't want to do all, you know, I don't, I don't want to, um, take up a bunch of, you know, I don't want to ruin people's days or whatever else. So it's like, how do you, how, how, how do you erase some of that fear that you're going to come in and spill your entire life story? And people are going to be like, God, you're really screwed up. Like, <laughs> this is not the right group for you. How do you erase that fear? We model what we call gentle disclosure. Mm. You know, it, it needs to be paced because mm. you're right. I mean, if everybody's going to throw up all over each other in that first group, you know, <laughs> half the group is never going to come back, Right. you know? So we pace it mm. um, and, and give people the opportunity to kind of wade into it. Mm. Um, but there always are those who are ready. Yeah. 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 There are many times on the first night, it, you, like you, you ask the question, what do you hope to get out of the group? And then that's it. Like yeah. the, the rest of the night does itself. <laughs> like, um, and, and that's fine because right. I realize that people are coming in to group. They haven't had to your point, have not had a place yeah. right. in which Very they alone. felt yes, yeah. safe enough to say what they need to say. And I would, my other sort of answer to that is like, so what if you come in and the first couple weeks you, you know, you are, back in the dump truck up of mm. emotions and just letting it out. Cause you do have to let it out. Like right. where are you going to, where else are you going to let it out? Um, but to do it in a space to that point, like you don't want to just do that with a stranger on the street or someone mm. you met five minutes ago. I mean, yes. When you come into a group, these are all people you probably do not know, but we're holding a structured space to allow that to happen in such a way that it doesn't, completely it's not a free-for-all yes um well there's a structure to it everything's structured right. so it's not like it's all right who wants to go next let's just start there, there is a process and yeah. a structure to yeah. how like you said what was that it was a beautiful gentle disclosure gentle yeah, disclosure i love that same with a counselor you know i would say i would say the first two places to start would be uh counseling or a group mm. any place where someone knows how to hear you mm. and can respond accordingly it's uh, so, we, you know, we often do the 12 steps here as an offering as well. And we talk about the fact that it is a rule that if you do your fifth step, which is your life inventory, mm. you cannot do a fifth step with someone who's never done a fifth step. You have to find somebody who's done a fifth step because that is a lot to tell someone. You're mm. telling them literally your entire life story in your fifth step, all your all of the good, the bad, and ugly. If they cannot hold that it will be a totally, it will be a disaster. Yes. Um, a shaming experience mm. to tell that to somebody who doesn't know how to hold the space. Mm. So that's, I think, you know, again, like in all of these processes, it is about making sure that you have protected your own heart mm. in where you need to be vulnerable. But I think everyone needs a place to just just get it out. Just just really, don't worry about how it sounds or mm. like how much yuckiness there is. Just just say it. Yes. Because <laughs> you got to say it. Yes. I, I would want anybody listening to this to know that, that 
I don't think there's a more courageous, brave thing that you can do mm. than to be vulnerable Completely. because it is the most difficult thing. I've seen the strongest men mm. that I've ever known who were into like military net terrified, mm. ter- petrified of being vulnerable. Mm. It's a different strength. It's a different inner journey. And I really believe it is the catalyst for what is so wrong and broken in our society. Mm. And it just gets worse. So finding that place where I can be vulnerable is life-changing. And so maybe, Scott, um, to close out, um, is there anything encouraging that you would like to say um, for anybody that would be listening? I just want to think just how important it is to have the experience of being fully known Mm -hmm. and the feeling of being felt and just that the, the gift of vulnerability. Sarah and I worked with women in recovery for breast cancer for a long, long time mm-hmm. through the ABC program of the YMCA. They've used our materials. And this is the first time because they got into these groups that are doing our journey program for the women with, with breast cancer that they got to share their stories, mm-hmm. their whole lives of being fully known and just how healing that was. But it took this terrible disease mm-hmm. to get them there. And this is our hope and the work that we do is that people would come now. Mm. You know, it's just, it's just the most needed thing I think there is. I think that what Thompson is saying is just so true. There's no greater need mm. than have that place, that mm. space that Brene Brown says too, of being fully known mm. and have that experience. Because mm. it is an experience. It really is a felt state. <laughs> and a felt state of freedom. Well, Scott, thank you so much. And Sarah, thank you for um, sitting down again. I know that there's a lot of people that probably um, have that fear when they think about joining a small group, but we want you to know that this is a, a safe space, a gentle space where you can show up, take your time, and be held with that sacred space that's needed to shift out of toxic shame. Well, thanks for listening, and we'll talk to you soon. Take care. Restore Small Groups is a nonprofit based in Nashville, Tennessee. To find out more, visit us online at restoresmallgroups.org.